According to a PricewaterhouseCoopers healthcare industry report, in 2008, healthcare growth is actually decelerating. What does that mean for healthcare providers? You're listening to a special topic on ReachMD XM157, Future Medicine. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host, and joining me today is Dr. David Chin, both a national partner in the health industry's advisory practice of PricewaterhouseCoopers and the managing partner of PricewaterhouseCoopers Global Healthcare Research Institute. He is a physician executive with more than 24 years of experience in managed care, hospital and physician network formation, and the management of large medical group practices. Dr. Chin, thanks for coming on the show. Larry, thanks very much for having me. Well, the first question, I guess, should be is, what does it really mean when you say healthcare is decelerating? The trend we call medical cost trend, and it's been actually decelerating over the last 30 years. And as everyone knows, it had been increasing at around 15, 20% a year. And it seems to be decelerating down to the high single digits per year. And I wanted to emphasize medical trend in terms of is different than the increase in healthcare premiums. So I want to draw that distinction. So is this a good thing or a bad thing? I think there's a good thing overall. Uh, everyone talks about the negative impact of increasing healthcare costs on our global competitiveness. So therefore, deceleration of this trend uh, can only be good news for our uh, industries. Why do you think it's decelerating? What What is driving that rate of descent? I think the, we see four things, two short-term trends and then two longer-term trends. The two short-term trends are really around increasing the use of generic drugs and the uh, increasing cost-sharing by employees. The longer-term trends are a more holistic view of healthcare benefits by employers focusing on wellness, et cetera. And the second, we believe, is impact on decreasing costs by increasing the use of technology, much like we have seen in other industries. Who likes your data? I mean, why does PricewaterhouseCooper monitor this stuff? I mean, who really wants to know this data every month? There are a couple constituencies in particular. One is obviously insurance companies getting some kind of forecast about what's going to happen over the next year or two in terms of setting their own premiums and then seeing how their projections compare with our projections. And obviously, employers are very interested in terms of looking at uh, predicting their costs over the coming year. As you know, labor costs and the, the attendant benefit costs are typically, for most employers, you know, the largest part of their cost structure. And do these numbers come out every month? No, we produce this report once a year. In some of your reports, you discuss consumer-directed health plans versus PPOs, HMOs. And what are some of the examples of these consumer-directed health plans besides just, let's say, an HSA? Well, the feature of a consumer-directed health plan really is around a pot of tax-favored monies that typically they're called high-deductible health plans, anywhere from you know, $500 to $1,000 a year that they can put in these plans. And if they don't use it, they can get returns on a tax-deferred basis on these accounts. The critical feature of these accounts, though, is that there is associated with the plan is information regarding the cost of care, the quality of care, so that the consumer can make a more informed choice regarding their health care. When do you think we're going to start seeing menus in doctors' offices where they actually list the cost of everything they do? I think when we see greater penetration of the high-deductible health plans, uh, right now it's still only about 4% of the insured population. 
so that everyone talks about consumer-directed health plans, but it's a relatively small impact. I believe as the, the penetration of these plans become more widespread, that you'll start seeing both the deceleration of the premiums or cost trends, as well as the increased use of menus. Right now, these consumer-directed plans have a trend of about 7.5%, whereas the regular PPO and HMO plans run about 9.9%. I know in my practice, my employees do not want a high deductible. They want a zero deductible, so they, they get stuck with the HMOs, whereas I myself would, you know, I like the high deductible one. But you have to have a certain amount of money to afford that. There's no question that Americans love choice, and they love choice especially if it's free. David, where you know most people think all the money is going to doctors and to prescription drugs. Can you set us straight? Well, doctors, not all the, all the monies, but certainly doctors now comprise the largest chunk of health care costs, roughly about 35 37 percent. And drugs are a relatively smaller proportion, you know, less than half that. And then the bulk is made up by hospital costs. So that certainly drugs and uh, physician costs are not the uh, majority of the healthcare costs. And looking at that pie, how much of that is administrative by the insurance companies? How much do they take off the top? It varies in terms of the estimates, but it goes from anywhere from 10 to 15 percent of healthcare costs consumed by administrative activities. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special topic on future medicine on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill. Joining me today is Dr. David Chin. Dr. Chin is both a national partner in the Health Industries Advisory Practice of PricewaterhouseCoopers and the managing partner of their Global Healthcare Research Institute. Dr. Chin, I know you talk about this concept known as a digital backbone that connects vendors and payers and health providers. Tell me a little bit more about the backbone and how can I find this backbone? In terms of the digital revolution, it's still coming. I mean, the reality is that doctors' offices are still not wired. Only 23% or so are wired in terms of EMR as of 2006. That's, you know, that's double over several years ago, but still, you know, more than, what, 75% of the offices still are not automated. The notion of a digital backbone really is around the advent of the internet. Most of the connectivity now in healthcare is through the internet. And we certainly see that doctors' offices and hospitals will increasingly connect through via the internet. We expect that there will be savings, just like we've seen savings in other industries when there is increase in technology. There's enormous hype out there about that every EMR company has about return on investment. And I think a lot of it is hype. I, I think they all want to sell this, and the government is jumped on the bandwagon saying we have to have this, and so the government will start funding these EMR companies. But it's not that enormous a return on investment. It's I think it's better for the patient, it's better for the doctor, but there's not a lot of cost savings, at least in my office. Well, you know, you're absolutely right that in the office, there is not that much in the way of cost savings. I think one of the real problems in terms of adoption of EMR by physicians is the what I would say the asymmetry of benefits versus costs. The physician's office bears most of the costs, and the costs are not only hardware, 
but also the change in your business processes in the office that slow things down, slow you down as a physician, slow your, your office personnel, support personnel down. So you bear the cost of that. The benefits, as you say, are, are terrific for the patient, and in particular, they're great for the payers. You can monitor quality better. You can reduce uh, variation in practice. You can pick up adverse events. So those benefits accrue to the patient and to the payers, but the costs accrue to the providers, which is why I believe there's been such slow adoption of these technologies. I recently read that the state of Vermont is actually going to start supplementing or making it easy for their doctors to adopt EMRs. So I think as soon as someone comes to the office and says, hey, we're going to pay for your EMR, a doctor will be happy to do it. And I think you're absolutely right. That will help reduce the asymmetry. But it's more than just paying the EMR. There have been several insurance companies around the country that have said, we will put in the EMR for free in your office, but still doctors have not adopted it because of the other costs, the process costs associated with EMR. Yeah, I mean, it definitely does affect the workflow, and you need to have an EMR company that actually comes out and looks at your workflow and creates a system to help you and not hinder you. Exactly. That being said, I I think that EMRs in healthcare, it's more than EMR, it's the use of technology in not only doctor's offices, but also in hospitals will reduce healthcare costs. Uh, PwC has recently done a study with the Wharton School looking at adoption of technology, IT technology, and the effect on hospital costs. Mm -hmm. And it turns out that if in the early part of the adoption, when you adopt some of this technology, the costs do go up per case. But once you hit a tipping point, Mm -hmm. the cost per case starts going down. And we believe that in the U.S. healthcare market, we're approaching that tipping point in many institutions that have adopted IT, and we'll see the downward slope. David, I I dream of a day when my software can actually tell me that I've ordered or that I've run out of Q-tips and vaccines and automatically reorder it from the vendor without me having to do inventory. Mm -hmm. I mean, that would be a nice interconnection between vendors and payers. I mean, we're really the only industry, I think, that's left out there that has not automated. You're absolutely right. All right, so what's going to happen in the next few years if healthcare growth is decelerating? How's that going to affect what Medicare pays us, first of all? I mean, every year they say they're going to cut it, and then at the last minute it's repealed. Well, I think there is continuing pressure on uh, physician reimbursement, uh, given the fact that it's uh, the largest chunk of health care costs, around about 37% or so. It's always a target. And we have certainly seen reductions in physician incomes over the years. It really has not kept pace with inflation. So I think there will be continued pressure on unit reimbursement counter to that, however, we do see trends towards pay for performance. And so that instead of paying for volume, many payers, including CMS, are looking at, gee, can we pay for outcomes? And those physicians that can demonstrate better outcomes, those delivery systems that can demonstrate better outcomes, will get paid more money. And that certainly seems to make sense in terms of aligning incentives between the outcomes that payers would like versus, you know, more reimbursement that providers would like. David, I want you to look into your crystal ball there at PricewaterhouseCoopers. And in the year 2012, five years from now, what do you think will have really changed? Not just uh, thinking about changing or almost changing, but have actually tipped and gone to the other side. Well, I 
think by 2012, we're going to run into a major problem regarding actually nurses, not so much uh, doctors. I think we're going to end up seeing different models of delivery in terms of use of nurses because of the acute shortage. The supply of nurses peaked out in 2004 and has been declining uh, ever since. But the demand for nurses continue to increase. I suspect you probably, if you employ nurses in your office, have watched their salaries go up disproportionate to medical inflation. Well, David Chin, thank you very much for coming on the show today. Thanks very much, Larry, for having me. Dr. David Chin is a national partner in the health industry's advisory practice of PricewaterhouseCoopers and managing partner of their Global Healthcare Research Institute. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to a special segment on future medicine on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions. If you log on to ReachMD.com, you can now download any one of our shows from our on-demand podcast library. Check it out. Thanks for listening.